need some motivation on your Chinese business endeavor, may be curious about what the Chinese business environment is all about, or want to laugh out loud listening to war stories on the ground in China, then this is your show, China Business Cast. Welcome to another episode of the China Business Cast. I decided that this time it would not be me asking the questions, but actually my good friend Choi on her podcast asking me the questions. I was recently interviewed by her. I think the interview turned out to be quite valuable when it comes to China e-commerce, about the impact of Corona on the global supply chain, some updates on e-commerce, the new regulations that are coming up in the European Union regarding VAT. Also, attitude on Chinese companies and individuals, how to do business with Western companies and vice versa. And also my personal story. I don't really like to sit on the other side of the microphone, but I think it's always good to get a better understanding of who's your host and yeah, what my story is and how things have developed over the years. A little bit of background on Choi. I know her for many years. I think maybe eight or something from her time in Shanghai. She's currently based in Hong Kong and she's more involved with providing legal advice to global companies who are doing business with or in China. And she's been very valuable for me and also for my customers, helped me a lot. And recently she started her own podcast in 2020, Choice Podcast. It's an English spoken podcast, mainly interviewing global entrepreneurs, senior leaders, about different topics, not just legal, but more about business and personal life and success stories, all that kind of stuff. Very interesting to listen to. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, if you like it, please subscribe, leave a comment, and I hope to see you on the next one. Hey, hi, Simon. Good to have you here. How are you? Hi, Joy. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. How about you? Yeah, I'm good as well. I'm uh, in Hong Kong right now. And where are you? I'm in Shanghai. Shanghai. Ah. Oh, yeah. There's some new cases there uh, right now. So, Yeah, it's getting a little tricky. I, I'm, honestly, I'm not sure if it's if it was never there. <laughs> maybe it's just uh, it's also a way to maybe keep, keep people home during Chinese New Year or at least oh. voluntarily home. It's like some kind of theory that I started to develop in my head, but yeah, it's, it's getting. According to the news, it's getting more serious, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm taking it serious as well. I'm, I'm staying home or, or nearby my home where I work from. Uh, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, Chinese New Year is coming up, but uh, yeah, to stay in the pandemic atmosphere, we're going to talk about e-commerce today, and it's a hot topic, and especially now. So, if you don't mind, I want to go straight to it. Uh, yeah, what is new? What is happening in the e-commerce and the import and export business? China 2020 has, has sped up a lot of things, honestly. Uh, I think the whole landscape is has changed and made, how to say, the frog leaps when it comes to the development, when it comes to the experience, when it comes to the purchase behavior of cons consumers. From my, from my perspective, I'm much more also in the, involved in the supply chain. And that had a really, really big impact. The, the role that China has and plays when it comes to goods from China, they always have some part in the supply chain. So that was a big topic where goods suddenly were not available or raw material was not available or they had difficulties distributing it after, after that. So the reliability on supply chain from China definitely had a big impact for e-commerce. Freight capacity, obviously. I mean, most of when it comes to small parcels i'm more in e-commerce and small parcels a lot of them are shipped by 
personal flights, by passenger flights. Mm-hmm. And, not, and, and these passenger flights suddenly stopped or the majority of them stopped. That means that you need to look for new capacity. New airplanes, cargo flights were popping up to be able to carry these loads to where it needed to go. That had a huge, huge impact. And that means that also the whole supply chain was impacted by that. And then you see companies need to make a prediction. Prediction on what kind of products they need or what products they're expecting to come in. That kind of planning that was sometimes more on the fly and much more on paper and we'll see when it gets there is now much more uh, focused on on planning. So that's that's a big impact on the on the supply chain. And there are many impacts. That, I mean, ecosystems between China and the U.S. has been impacted. There's a lot of been a lot of tensions due to trade war, but also due to Facebook, TikTok, everything that happened in that space, which are very important channels for exposure when it comes to e-commerce. In mm-hmm. China itself, new social media channels that popped up that get much more people exposure with. Uh, live streaming or with short videos, these kind of developments, these ecosystems around the main platforms have been tremendously impacting just because people were uh, more on their phone, more at home and not able to to travel. Uh, that, this is then, I think, the second, the second most impact. And then the third one that I would say that really speed up the process is the online versus offline sales be- uh, purchasing behavior of consumers. Mm-hmm. Before, I think most of the international brands, the majority of their sales was still offline, mm-hmm. and they suddenly had to switch that into offline and online, where the majority actually of the sales are now happening on online. That means that players that were purely online face now much more competition, and the ones that were purely offline or majority of uh, offline had to figure out how to become and do business online, and that means social media content, but also making pitching their brand and, and their story of the brand in a different way because people easily sh- switch. We see the consumer behavior switching very rapidly because before you go to your store, you go to that brand, that's where you always went to. You, you wanted that experience. That's kind of human behavior. And now you start searching online and you, you f- suddenly find all different kind of brands and products. That means that, yeah, people are easily triggered to purchase and try something else. A lot, a lot of things happened, I think, in the e-commerce space, uh, both ways, from China to Europe, from Europe to China. Uh, I think we can talk hours for that if you want to, <laughs> very deep. Uh, but I think these three, the impact on the supply chain, the ecosystems, and the online and offline, That's, I think these are the main three that capture most. Yeah, but I think that, that um, China, compared to the West, is actually already more online. Um, so it isn't it like a development that was already ongoing, but that 2020 had, of course, a big impact on it and uh, made it grow even more rapidly. You're right. You're right. In the uh, Western world, it's much more. The, the changes are much bigger than in China, because the in China the ecosystem was already set, and in Western world, it's much more individual platforms that don't really cooperate with each other. They see them as the as their own niche or their own specialty. And not really integrated. And in China, everything is integrated. And that's the beauty, actually, of it. And it creates a lot of opportunities, a lot of flexibility during these kind of times of epidemic where data is, is easier shared, but uh, apps are easier available. The promotion of it is makes it much more convenient. And the consumer behavior 
is much more agile and adaptive to these kind of new trends. There's much less resistance to give something new a try. Though online, I think China was already more or less ready for this kind of uh, situation, more ready than than at least the Western countries and maybe some other countries as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So is this also foreign sellers or foreign businesses who are uh, wanting to enter China? Uh, is this what they are struggling with? Uh, that the technical development that they are used to is um, much of a lower uh, development status than, than it's happening in China? Most of the foreign brands that want to enter China, they have to figure out the whole ecosystem first mm. by themselves or with a partner. They cannot really reuse much of their existing technical background or information they still rely then on the ecosystem that's here in place we see a lot of changes that happened as particularly marketing spend that has been put on hold or expansion to china that has been put on hold the uh, so for some brands they're kind of there are two two sides one is a brand that wants to be international and they think the local market is struggling Therefore, I need to diversify. I need to invest in other, into other markets such as China. That's basically one category. The second category is the ones that are in an early stage, don't have too much presence in China yet. And to be able to grab that, they need to invest more and need to rely more on their local partners or their local offices because they cannot travel by themselves and keep an eye on things themselves. These kind of These kind of two groups you see. And the last one, are normally the ones that put the China expansion on hold for now. The mm. first one is heavily investing in influencers, visibility, and yeah, promoting new products, that, that kind of area. And, but these are normally the bigger brands with the bigger budgets. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And, and then let's go uh, the other way around because uh, you're also helping Chinese brands to succeed in Europe. I can imagine that it will bring a whole other set of problems. So what kind of problems are they dealing with? Actually, I learned a lot from the the West, helping Western brands to enter the Chinese market. And I always think like, if I can do it this way, I can also do it reversed. But in the end, it's always customized. But a lot of things you can still learn from that experience itself when it comes to how to use uh, online channels, how to build a supply chain, find reliable partners, all these kind of the pieces of the puzzle to find mm-hmm. the puzzle is, is very similar. My main focus is not so much to push Chinese brands. It's more to help Western online sellers with their sourcing, fulfillment, and shipping from China. And these sellers, they want to build their own brands that are mm. produced in China. When I, I've talked to different Chinese brands that wanted, that are active overseas and they want to become more visible online. The main problem, and maybe you face that too, is that for Chinese, it's difficult to accept that you have to pay for a service. A service mm. is sort of a given for Chinese entrepreneurs or companies. It's hard to sell the, your service. And they basically want to have everything commission-based or the majority commission-based. And that's not really realistic if you need to spend one or two years to build a brand, give them a position, make it a success, and then what? Then you're still not sure whether you can still keep going and then actually the earning starts. And that, that's kind of a discussion or that's kind of where there's some tension between Chinese brands in general and or service providers that want to help these Chinese companies to go overseas. At least that's my experience, but maybe you've heard other stories, but this is what I've been facing with, yeah. 
Yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of indeed reversed. Um, it's a bit, bit pity. I mean, uh, Western brands have uh, advantages, and so have Chinese companies, and especially with their uh, knowledge of technology. But yeah, indeed, there's there always will be a lot of cultural problems, and um, how to make the best use of the system. So, I think yeah, it it also helps if they're very adaptable. But usually, they are not, and um, yeah, that's a it's more of an ego problem sometimes. Yeah, well, I can give you some example. I I joined a Chinese e-commerce company because mm-hmm. I believe that China has a lot of resources, both financially as in IT skills. Uh, uh, human resources. I think they are leading when it comes to uh, the technology itself, the e-commerce ecosystem, and that's going to be replicated globally. Whether it's going to be copying the Chinese system, I'm not sure, but it's going to be helping for sure. And then I was thinking, okay, what's the main struggle that these Chinese companies are dealing with is how to localize and how to be sort of like a bridge between local cultures or Western cultures and China. And there's quite as 2020 has kind of built up some tension between these two as well, mainly due to the media and because of the experience that people are facing, which is something that someone and and multiple people, not just me, need to overcome, help overcome, tell the story, improve the communication and make sure that it's not from a competition point of view. It's just, a company who wants to grow internationally because it can offer a service or a product or value to domestic consumers. That's not much different than I've done in the past 10 years, helping Western companies to promote their services, products, or solutions into the Chinese market. I see that as very similar. Uh, the, if I build a success for these Western companies, am I then doing uh, China favor? I think so. And the same I will do if I help Chinese companies to go into a European market, I will do the European market a favor. At least that's my belief and my personal opinion. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not always seen as such. I mean, I think that, uh, yeah, China's reputation at this moment is indeed quite, yeah, questionable uh, and, and, and it will make things harder, don't you think? It is a bump in the road for sure. This will mm-hmm. be, and that means that a different paths need to be taken to be able to accomplish that. And I think China is kind of adaptable and pragmatic when it comes to that approach and to try something else. We see Chinese uh, platforms or e- global e-commerce players from uh, from China, like Alibaba, Jingdong, uh, Wish. They're all trying to, also big brands like Xiaomi, Huawei. They're also trying to find a way to localize their service and solutions better without stepping on toes when it comes to on a political level or on a consumer behavior. And it's not that easy. You cannot just replicate what they've been doing in China and do that same thing in a Western market. It simply yeah. doesn't work like that. So you have to tap into ecosystem. Like, for example, Jingdong is selling on ASOS, I think, or in the platforms domestically in, in with their own store in, in the UK. And... These kind of their uh, Ali Balibaba opening offline stores. They're trying to also ways to blend in, not just be the aggressive player in the domain, in the local markets, but trying to find a way to blend in and then mm. yeah adjust. I think that's the, a new strategy that has been taken for the last one or two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think indeed uh, most successful companies are able to adjust. And uh, also to to be open to learn new things, indeed. 
actually what, what both sides are, um, the mistake that they are making or the, the experience that they lack is that they don't know how it feels to be a foreigner in their own country. So when they go to the other country, they are very surprised about some things that they think are different from their own country. But actually, if they would be the other way around, they would face the same things, actually. So maybe we're more alike than we think, actually. For sure, for sure. I'm convinced. Yeah. Yeah, let's uh, let's move on to the new uh, VAT rules that are going to be uh, applied applied uh, as from first of July of this year for e-commerce specifically. Um, yeah, how do, how will this work out? Can you explain a little bit about it? For for cross border, this definitely has a and will have a big impact. So what is happening is the European government or the EU is wanted to implement a new rule on the 1st of January 2021 that got postponed to 1st of July 2021. And maybe it get even postponed further. It's not sure yet, just because of the countries are so occupied with fighting the coronavirus at the moment that it's not sure about when it's going to start, but it is going to start. And there are three reasons why this is going to start. And that's, well, first is the European Union wants to facilitate cross-border trade. That's something that they want to stimulate in a, in a more controlled way. The second one is to combat VAT fraud. And if you think about it, this is a huge one because it, I saw the data like 2017 is 137 billion euro was missed in VAT. And that's 2017. So assuming that there will be double digit growth, we're probably close to 200 billion euro that's being missed out because of the VAT. That's a huge amount of money and that's worth looking into. And China did not do that very differently when they implemented the rules for cross-border trade have with the free trade zones in, uh, I think it was April 2015. It's also mm -hmm. the same, same reason, facilitate trade, more control on products, but also the taxes. And, and the third reason is to ensure um, more like a fair level playing field for local entrepreneurs in Europe they actually have much more cost than if the goods would be shipped from China directly to the consumer. And that's a little bit of a fair uh, disadvantage, unfair advantage, let's put it like that. And that's something that the European Union also want to stimulate and protect is local entrepreneurship. These are the main three reasons. But then how to do that? Uh, not everything is fixed yet or finalized yet, but there will be three main changes. And these three changes that are first is if you're selling within the European Union to multiple countries, so outside of the country where you have a company registration and mm -hmm. that sales is over 10,000 euro, you will have to pay the VAT in the country of where the actual sales takes place. Mm -hmm. For example, I'm from the Netherlands. So let's say I have a Netherlands registration. I'm selling 8,000 euro in Germany, 4,000 euro in Belgium. Then that's in total, it's more than 10,000 euro. Mm -hmm. That amount, I need to pay 8,000 according to the German tax system and 4,000 according to the Belgian tax system. That's mm -hmm. kind of, uh, that's the first change. The second change is when it comes to small parcels. In small parcels, quite often they're sent from China directly to the consumer. And if the value is under 22 euro, you don't have to pay any VAT. That's going to change that everything goes to zero. So you will have to pay VAT for every single parcel. That's a huge, huge change. And that's not, I think, only Australia, but all the other countries in the world don't have this kind of 
regulation. And that will definitely guarantee the European government to collect much more in VAT or, or like taxes. <clears throat> that's that's a, the second big change. The third big change is a lot of these online sales are happening on platforms, platforms like Amazon, eBay, and the European Union says, you're managing the platform. That means you're responsible for your sellers. You need to make sure that the VAT is collected for your sellers. That means there will, will be much more stricter and they have bigger risk to handle and uh, take care of their, their their community. These are in short, I think, the three main impacts. Um, we, I just made a, a, a video recording recently, so if people want to look it up, uh, I think in two weeks or one or two weeks from now, from today, will be uh, a YouTube video available explaining more about the rules, about these rules and the impact for for dropshippers. The main thing that the European Union wants to do to solve this is to have a system. It's called the OSS system, a one-stop shop, where people have to pre-alert their information before it enters the European Union so that they can already identify this import, this parcel belongs to this sales order in that country and that based on the system, they will just take care of the taxes within multiple countries. Mm. Trying to systemize this and digitalize the whole process. But if you're not into this system, in this OSS system, this one-stop shop, then everything will still be as it is right now and you will just have to pay before the parcel will be released. And that would definitely make things much more complex and expensive. So smaller players will be much more difficult for bigger players that that get, get, are able to integrate. Then this will be uh, uh, yeah similar to what it is now, but a little bit more data exchange. Yeah, okay. I can see that it's more transparent and um, more simplified. But yeah, indeed, I think it's also going to raise cost for the small smaller companies. Yeah. The smaller Chinese companies, basically, and yeah, both both Chinese and Western companies. I mean, Western companies, European companies, in in this case too. They, they a lot of them are buying from China and send out directly, or mm. to a warehouse or to to the consumer, and they don't pay always the full tax that they should be paying, and yeah. uh, and and that's something that will definitely impact their business just as well. Uh, I don't yeah. think there's going to be any change until the rule is final. Everyone is, because it's just too much, it will become more expensive after the rule is implemented. Yeah. Everyone is waiting until that happens because you don't want to have extra cost and, and pretend to be the best uh, best person in the class. You, you're not, it's not going to happen. So we'll see when the rules really come to play, but it will be a game changer for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think the situation now is that a consumer... Um, in in the EU, will order something on AliExpress, and then uh, will uh, the shipper will always say that it's below twenty two euro. But then, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's always a surprise when you open the door to receive the parcel if it's going to be taxed or not, right? Yeah, that's that's basically how it goes. It's more when it comes to AliExpress, most is sent by post, and that's really sample size checking. It's based yeah, on what is written on the label, and then whether you trust what's written on the label is correct and if there's no issue then it will be uh, released without any problem but now everything will then will everything in the new rules the, everything will be taxed but this is aliexpress so you're looking at it from a chinese company who's shipping to a western world but there are many online stores that are using platforms like uh, shopify but also ebay amazon and they 
have their as a Western seller, they have their store on these platforms, and these sellers are purchasing from China and ship out directly. Yeah. Then the impact is much more on the seller because they're the ones that are communicating with the consumer. They're the ones collecting the money and they're basically become a buyer from a Chinese supplier. They will also be impacted by this as well. Yeah, they're both sides will be impacted. And in, in the end, I foresee yeah, that... Yeah, plus the platform as well because the platform is also responsible. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I think more and more people will use overseas warehouses to be able to stock their goods and use a B2B import method because mm. B2B import is based on the, they call it the CIF, CIF value, basically the cost of the products and the shipping cost. When it comes to B2C, you know, you should be able, should pay the taxes based on the sales value, which mm-hmm. is very, very different. And there's a very different amount that you, uh, and that, that's, so I think more and more, more people will look at overseas warehousing or in this case, European warehouses, where you put the stock and then you ship out directly and then you will basically avoid most of these new chains of regulation. You will just use it as traditional trade, the way goods are now imported in bulk as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As opposed to drop shipping, because uh, yeah, you're mentioning drop shipping already. Uh, what is it exactly? And why is it relevant? Drop shipping is... It has a little, a little bit of a negative tone, particularly when it comes to dropshipping from China. But dropshipping itself is done by global brands. It basically means that you collect an order, a consumer order, without purchasing or holding any stock yourself. You only purchase the goods once you've received the consumer order. And you receive the order, then you purchase it from the supplier. And then from the supplier, it's directly shipped to the consumer. Basically, you are like a mediator. You're like a middleman. You're an online mm-hmm. middleman who is buying, who's selling a product, promoting a product. And once the order happens, you're not touching the physical product when it's shipped out or before it's arriving. That's that's basically the concept of, of drop shipping. But we see that global brands, international brands, also do drop shipping, where they use their suppliers, their distributors as sort of like drop shippers and ship out directly from their warehouse. And now with COVID that happened, a lot of retail, so stores, offline stores kind of function like drop shipping warehouses. Whenever they get an order and then the order is checked, where is it in, in which store is it available? Can we ship it out because this store is nearby? Uh, let, let's say the store is in maybe in Amsterdam and the consumer is in Amsterdam, we can ship out from the store directly to the consumer. That's yeah. also a way of, of, of drop shipping itself. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But if you do cross border nowadays, um, yeah, you were mentioning in the beginning of our conversation that uh, the, the the flights have dropped. So this drop shipping uh, supply chain will also be disrupted because of uh, the drop in, in flights. Yeah, the supply chain has been impacted. It's been slower. And and yeah. that slower is I mean it's also it's not only because for cross border, uh, it's also for domestic delivery. There are many logistics providers that normally do next day delivery within their home country. They cannot provide the service just because the online sales and the amount of parcels has been booming, but also because of their regulations that they need to keep distance in the warehouse between the workers. They can also not handle the same capacity as they were handling before. Uh, different shifts. Uh, in the end, everything is delayed, but the biggest impact for sure is for cross-border 
to be able to catch the flight to be let it get a custom cleared and delivered in time that ha- that has been impacted for for sure yeah yeah okay yeah so quite a lot of things are happening uh, happened in 2020 and will be happening in 2021 so yeah that must be very interesting uh, from your point of view uh yeah so can you tell us a bit more about your background and your personal journey so far yeah basically my my chinese dream started in in 2005 and that was a visit to to hong kong actually uh, in 2005 i was uh, i had a room in i think on nathan road you you you, you must be familiar with that street mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i was there on a sunday night at 10 p.m. and i was walking around and i was amazed how many people were walking on the street i basically had to shovel my f- forwards I, I never had that anywhere I was really impressed, and I, I thought this the, the uh, different cultures are very interesting. At that time, I was on my way to Australia, New Zealand. It was like a few days stop, but I was, I was interested. I, w- I was triggered, and I wanted to learn more about Asian culture. And in 2007, went to do my thesis in Shanghai, in Xi'an, in Beijing, and then said, "Okay, I really want to live and work in Shanghai, uh, but I want to be sent as an expat, preferably as an expat." That means I first need to learn a skill. I learned a skill, hopefully, that my company would send me. That didn't happen. And in 2010, came again to look for a job, landed a job. In 2011, I could finally start working in China. And I've been mostly working since then in logistics, in cross-border trade, e-commerce. These kind of are, have been the, the main things when it comes to sourcing or logistics or selling a service or a solution. Uh, in the China market or the European market. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you uh, can write a book about uh, your adventures uh, in China until uh, uh, today. But yeah, any particular insights you want to share with us? I think for me, I've been doing reverse different ways from Europe to China and from China to Europe. And I think what I've learned that is very interesting is the different mindset Chinese companies approach a project or Chinese individuals approach a product, and uh, European companies and individuals approach a product. When we get a European company who says they want to come to China, they normally say, okay, can you do some research for me? Can you make a plan? Can you make a budget? Can you make some timelines for me? I would like to have all these kind of details in advance so that we can start planning and making resources available. It's very much process-driven, basically. Everything Mm -hmm. has to fit into a process. And when I could talk to a Chinese company, it's like, I, I have an idea and I want you to help me. Let's get started. <laughs> There's not much of a plan needed. And then it's adjusted along the way. And that doesn't make it always very efficient, but it's the, it's definitely moving forward and, and some sometimes abruptly ended. And these kind of two ways are, yeah, that, that causes a lot of conflict. Because mm. if these two parties have to work together, let's say you were looking for an overseas partner, then you also need to align on the mindset. And that's very, most of these uh, negotiations or collaborations, they don't work just be simply because of no alignment on the expectations and then lack of communication skills or understanding. I think these kind of things are very important uh, that, I, that I've learned. And how I try to overcome this is normally to ask clarifying questions and quite often is um, do you mean this and then I summarize and then check whether my meaning is correct or mm-hmm. I uh, explain to where western countries or companies to say this is 
you, I know I understand you want to have a detailed plan. We just simply cannot provide this. Uh, it's not that we don't want to. We can make a guess and estimate a guess, but it's not going to be exactly. And uh, we will do everything that we can, but you do have to trust we are a local partner for you here to protect your needs and services. And it's not our intention to. <laughs> and then that's kind of, that's it's a, more or less like a sales pitch, but it's, it is very true. It's not uh, that we, you, you need to localize. And to be able to localize, you have to, you cannot just copy paste in, in no way. And not from China to Europe, not from Europe to China. It's not a copy yeah. paste game. It's a way to localize. So you have to do a lot of fact finding. You have to do a lot of checking. And uh, yeah, I must say you've helped us a lot as well over the years with this fact finding, with this support and, and the checking and, and uh, following up on it. And uh, yeah, there's been, yeah, we're also very grateful just to have this kind of community of experts and uh, friends and, and, and industry players just because you cannot be an expert on everything by yourself. It, yeah. It's really impossible, uh, especially yeah. in a changing environment. And not just China's changing fast, but the whole world is changing fast at this point. You, yeah. need, to, yeah. you need to tap into other people's knowledge and experiences and brains to be able to give the best advice possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, we always hope that to uh, be able to provide our advice on time and not when it's too late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's something that's difficult. Huh? Uh, you know that too. I mean, yeah. situations, quite often a company said, yeah, but you guys are doing this for the first time, so I, I don't want to pay for that service because you're learning based on my money. Mm. Said, yeah, but for everyone it's the first time because it didn't exist before. You, yeah, you want someone, you're paying basically for the time, not for for the results, because it, there's still some uncertainty to it. And that's difficult to to bridge. Well, you're here, you should know how it works. You should inform us how t- things are done. Yeah, and if there's new solutions or new situations in the market and nobody really has an answer or, or a solution for it, then it becomes much more difficult to yeah, justify <laughs> the cost or the money that's spent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite challenging. And I don't feel that over the years, I don't feel that it, it's been more easy. Um, yeah, so you still need the really on-ground experience as an advisor, but also as a as a new company. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just not, yeah, it's just not getting easier in my view. I, I agree. I think it's not easier. That's also because the good stories are so highly emphasized on social media, in the media, that it seems like it's easy. And and uh, a lot of these failures or stories that went less pr- well, uh, so launching a store that you have opened a store online on an online platform, that's always big news. Mm-hmm. But, but you never know when, when it closes. <laughs> and that happens <laughs> quite often. And so it yeah. seems like you all only get these like positive triggers, these triggers to to inform people, like look how good we are doing, but you yeah. don't really see the full picture. And to be able yeah. to get the full picture, you will see there, yeah, there's a lot of bad experience or yeah, uh, as well. So it's really you need local partners in the end. Uh, even if you have a local office, you still need to find local partners to be able to take take away sort of the sort of some of the activities. Yeah, and build good relationships with them. Yeah, build relationships. And for us, the one of the ways we grew is because China, in China, it's quite known for people switching jobs easily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That means that when somebody leaves, they go to another company quite often in the same industry. 
And that's very interesting because that basically you get a new contact person in the former company and you have a new contact person in the new company where they're starting. Yeah. Uh, it's never ending. It's it's always a way to to grow. So I, I yeah, it's been for us very interesting because we learned a lot of new companies and new new customers and new partners because of this way of of growth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and you work for Mainz International and uh, Hyper SQU. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, Mainz International is, I think, twelve years old company. It's a Dutch trading company. Uh, of originally started with sourcing from China from factories, doing finding a factory, doing the quality control, and shipping bulk to Europe, and then it's put into supermarkets and offline retail. That's more like traditional trade. Then we started to do more B2C logistics, helping a Dutch postal company with their localization in China to find customers for their solutions. That's basically where our e-commerce journey more or less started. And from there, we got in touch with many companies who started asking us also for European brands because they wanted to purchase particularly milk powder and bring that into the Chinese market. And over time, we started developing also like a Daigo solution that's like a drop shipping reversed from Europe to China with Chinese promoting European products and shipping directly to Chinese consumers. Yeah, and it started to become more like a trading company for both ways from Europe to China and from China to Europe. And my plan actually was to uh, more move to uh, Europe at some point. And I, I saw that my role within Mainz is that the team was doing a great job and the emphasis was on our China team. And from the Netherlands, I had not much uh, value to add. So I started looking for new projects and I came across that I found that a lot of Western sellers buying from China have a lot of issues when it comes to trust, communication, transparency, and started to help these the sellers as a, sort of like a side project. And uh, yeah, I saw, okay, if I want to grow this, I need IT and I need money. Uh, therefore, I started looking for Chinese companies who can maybe help me with this. And via an introduction, I got in touch with HyperSKU, which I joined last year, May, May 2020, to be able to help them to localize their services in the European market and doing the sourcing in China for B2C fulfillment from a warehouse in China and then um, the shipping to, to all over the world. And that was kind of a great match because then I can make this justify my step to Europe. I can help a Chinese company to localize something that I've done reversed for many years. I believe that, uh, like I said before, that the resources are available in China. They have the backing up from the capital. And it's yeah, it's a very interesting next step for my e-commerce journey as well to, to look at things from the other side, not just from the supply chain, but much more, more tapping into the seller, in the seller's mm-hmm. mind on how to sell a product, how to promote it, how, how are they thinking, how can we support them and take away most of their issues. Yeah. And what does it mean, Hyper SKU? Where's the name coming from? SKU means Stock Keeping Unit. So SKU mm. is in uh, logistics and fulfillment is used a lot, uh, the term SKU. So each product is a unique SKU. In our system, also, each product has an, a unique identifier, whether it's a T-shirt in a red color with the size M has a different number than the red color in the size L. So each product has their own unique SKU. And then hyper, like hyper is like a multiple, like a, 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 a how to say that? Like a... Speedy, uh, like energy. Speedy, but also... Dynamic. 
uh, many very like many items many hyper oh, like okay. are uh, on endless or more or less oh yeah, yeah okay that, that's how it, that's how uh, uh the, the name it is a chinese company and uh mm-hmm. but uh, yeah the the, the the name is hyper so for them i'm being there more or less white face uh i appear on events we have a youtube channel and instagram and facebook and i'm trying to localize the service and, and be a bridge for western sellers uh, with a chinese supplier yeah interesting yeah you're really doing uh, the mirror situation right now yeah 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 it will be uh, good to uh, stay in touch and see uh, where you are a year from now <laughs> yeah i think it's interesting and i think that's good to add one of what, what, the, what i see is these e-commerce because we're talking about e-commerce chinese e-commerce companies they're very much focused on valuation and on numbers mm-hmm much more on certain uh, processes or timelines. It's uh, we, I see my, many of the, the business models for e- Chinese e-commerce companies is stock listing, is I- IPO. That's a big trend to be able to cash out. So it's not so much about profitability. It's much more about mm-hmm. va- creating value uh, in, a, in a way of going for IPO of, of shareholder value. That's much more the way to, to go about the, the where they're coming from and where they're going to. And that's a trend that is kind of new for Western companies because, because if you want to go on the stock listing overseas, normally that takes several years before you even can mm. be, can apply for it. And here it's it goes very much faster. It becomes a real, a real business model. And I, I think our company in that sense is not that different. It's it's very much focused on growth, on, on valuation, and, and to be able to go to scale. Yeah. Yeah, so anything can happen, basically. I mean, we saw already in 2020 uh, anything can happen. But, yeah, I think in in China, indeed, they can go grow very fast, right? Is that what you mean? Yeah, it can go really fast. You have the, this ecosystem. You have this strong network. You have other players. And all the players, they work together. It's not that they're competing with each other. Quite often, they're very much integrated with each other. You're never alone. It's always a, a collaborative. Although there might have the, some of the platforms they compete with each other but the majority of the players are quite harmonious and that's some cultural element that comes back into the chinese culture is to create also a harmonious society basically and you see that back also in the ecosystem itself it's it's very it, it is comp- i'm not saying it's not competitive but you you can tap into so many resources from uh, that are available without really stepping on people's toes and, and enabling each other and that's something that is quite uh, unique the, in this in this ecosystem in China. That is, yeah, has been a driver behind this this growth, I believe. Yeah, yeah, super exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, yeah, so we will stay in touch because it's yeah, it's really um, very interesting what 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 can happen. So yeah, you mentioned already you are on YouTube and on Facebook. Um, yeah, how can they find you more specifically? Most likely on LinkedIn. Then there you can look me up, Simon Derat. And I will be on, yeah, I'm trying to be more visible on Facebook and Instagram. We have a, there's a YouTube channel from HyperSKU. I'm also running a, a podcast just like you, the China Business Cast, which is already running for eight years and I joined about two years now. I'm a host mm-hmm. on that. So they can also find me there and maybe get valuable content from other industry leaders and entrepreneurs and, and senior leaders. Yeah, I think the, yeah. the yeah, any any social media channel basically. But I'm more most responsive, I think, on Facebook or LinkedIn. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you don't mind people contacting you directly? No, no, not, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Okay, Simon, thank you very much for all these insights. Very interesting. And like I said, we will uh, stay in touch and uh, wish you a lot of luck with uh, with your business. Thanks, Joy. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Doing business in China is a complex world. You can quickly feel alone and lost in its maze. But don't worry. China Business Cast is here for you. Sign up for our newsletter and regular updates on our website at www.chinabusinesscast.com. Thanks for tuning in.